you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. You love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. With this life I lose, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Casting my cares aside, I'm leaving my past behind. Setting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. Reaching my hand to yours, believing there's so much more, knowing that all you have in store for me is good. It's good. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I won't worry about tomorrow Trusting in what you say Today's the day Today's the day While we're thankful for Lucas and Lois and that video update, let's just take a moment to uh, pray for them and also to ask for God's blessing on our time together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a light in the darkness. It's a comfort to our soul. Lord, we thank you for those that are serving you in many capacities throughout our world, uh, particularly for Lucas and Lois uh, this morning. We just pray that you would continue to help them as they recharge, as they ready themselves to return to Liberia. Lord, may you help Lois to uh, obtain the medical care that she's needing, and we just Thank you that we can rest in your provision and your care for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Steve is taking some well-deserved vacation time, so we will uh, we'll be looking at this together, but I've really been blessed by the opportunity to study uh, this passage this week in Matthew 6. Starting in verse 25, we're going to read through that. 
verse 25 to 34. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, in case we might miss it, Jesus makes it very clear what he's talking about in this section. Three times, he repeats the phrase, do not be anxious. We'll put that slide up there, Chad. Verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31, he says, do not be anxious, saying... And in verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. I want you guys to just take a moment and ask yourself this morning, what gives you anxiety right now? Okay? What gives you anxiety right now? You know, I was thinking about this. There are so many things that we could be anxious about today. It could be kids. It could be relationships. It could be finances or our health. It could be school, political unrest, injustice, possessions, activities, my job, political unrest. Man, there are so many things to be anxious about. In fact, I feel like in some ways, we live in an age of anxiety. You've got Fox News, CNN, the internet. Everywhere you look, there are all these sources, and sometimes it feels like their sole mission and their sole purpose is to amplify anxiety. And the more time you spend reading the news uh, and, and looking at these things, sometimes the more anxious you become. In looking, at, in looking at anxiety this week, and it's also clear, and you can see this, that anxiety is more, affects more than a mental state, right? 
Anxiety can give you headaches. Anxiety can bring sleeplessness, heart issues, digestive issues, and even chronic pain and illness are all things that can result from a heart that's filled with anxiety. And so if we know the destructive power of anxiety, uh, to me that gives us a strong motivation, a strong reason to just pause for a bit this morning and see what Jesus would say to us about anxiety. What kind of wisdom, what kind of remedy can he give? Well, when I look at this passage, I see three major themes or antidotes to anxiety. I'm going to give them to you quick, and then we'll cover them uh, with the rest of our time. But the first one is that the Father provides. The second is that your Father knows and the third is that your father is the king. Three antidotes to anxiety, really part of one antidote together. So, verse 25 to 30. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So I want you to see right off the bat, look at the therefore in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What is he, what is he referring back to? Well, I think the, the, the quickest and most obvious point is from what we talked about last week. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because we have this treasure in heaven, that is one reason, that is one thing that Jesus uses as a foundation layer to say, therefore, do not be anxious. Okay? But I think you can go, you can go beyond that and you can think back to the building blocks that Jesus has been putting down all through this Sermon on the Mount. Some of the things that he's talked about. Um, you know, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And what kind of reward that gives you as opposed to the reward that your Father in heaven has for you. We we've, we've meditated about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All these building blocks to reach this point where Jesus says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. And this first antidote really this idea of God as our Father. And what does a Father do? A Father provides. And, and we should also just keep in mind that it wasn't a normal thing for the Jews to address God directly as Father. This was a new thing that Jesus was, was bringing and introducing to them, that they can have an access and a relationship to God where they call Him Father. Um, R.C. Sproul said that you can't find any examples in uh, 
Jewish literature of a first person addressed to God, either in the Old Testament or uh, other Jewish sources before Jesus. So this is a radical idea that we can have a relationship to God where he's our father, where he's close. And to me, this term father, it really implies this intimacy that we can have with God, this access, uh, and really this caretaking responsibility, right? And so Jesus gives us a couple examples from nature to show how God is a provider. So So you think about the first one. He says, look at the birds. Now, I don't spend a lot of, I'm not a bird watcher. I don't spend a lot of time observing birds closely, okay? Some of you guys may know more about birds than I do. Did anyone grow up with the expression that someone eats like a bird or ever hear that, you know? And really it was applied to someone who's just pecking at their food, taking a little bite here and there. Well, man, that expression is way wrong, okay? Birds are huge eaters, all right? They have pigs be like crazy, okay? Now, it depends on the size of the bird, okay? The smaller the bird, the more they eat in relation to their body weight, okay? A hummingbird, all right? Tiny, tiny hummingbird eats or drinks, you know, since, since they're going after the nectar, drinks approximately its weight in liquids each day. Now, so I did some, some calculations. If I was going to do the same thing, I'd have to drink about 21 gallons of lemonade, all right? I might enjoy that for about the first half gallon, and then I would be, I would be in trouble, okay? So the fact that God provides for birds uh, and gives them enough to eat is, is significant. The other thing that, that you notice about birds, because they have to eat so much, birds are really hard workers, okay? And, and I have noticed this. I mean, after it rains, you look out there, and you, and you see the birds out there. Man, they are grabbing those worms, all right? That expression does apply. The early bird gets the worm, okay? Um, birds are very hard workers. So Jesus is not implying that, you know what, you don't need to work. He's not saying that you can just sit still all the time and, you know, or you'll be like Elijah where the ravens bring you the food. No, we have to work. We have to expend energy, uh, all those things. But the fact is that God provides. God gives the birds the resources. He gives them the food that they can go after, okay? God provides all the materials, all that we have in creation. And he says, you know, go work, go get it. But just trust me. Birds don't live in a constant state of anxiety. And he, he makes the point that birds don't really sow, you know, they don't plant seeds, wait, harvest them, store them in barns. Now, you know, there might be a couple of different kinds of birds that store some seeds away, okay? That doesn't invalidate Jesus' point. By and large, birds are not hoarders. They go out, and each day they gather the food they need for that day, okay? And, and Jesus kind of brings this to a conclusion, and he says, are you not of more value than they? And Jesus is just trying to, to make the point, if birds don't need to be anxious about their food, doesn't God care about you more than a bird? Doesn't God care more about you who he has spent so much time and effort to save, to redeem, to become part of his family? God cares for you more than a bird's. 
And, and then he makes this point at the end. He says in verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You know, worrying and being anxious doesn't extend your life, okay? Most of the time, it's like extra work that we're doing in our brains that doesn't have any fruit. And what would it be like if we just could rest and trust and have peace? Uh, that is something that, that can, can add to our life, that can extend our life. Uh, but worrying won't do it. Anxiety won't do it. And after Jesus talks about the birds in verse 28, he goes to another part of creation. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so he says, consider the lilies of the field. Now, field lilies and grass, it's like the opposite activity level from birds, okay? They can't move. They can't do anything. But how, how does God clothe them, okay? God sends the rain. He sends the sunshine. He gives them all the resources they need right where they are. And I think the point is that Jesus is making is not that he's going to provide us with high fashion. We're not going to be walking around like Solomon. But I think the basic point, and John Piper made this, is that God adorns his creation. God makes his creation how he has made it, how he's designed it. And God's made all of us and put us in a place in life, and he gives us the resources that we need. And really, and really it comes down to, do I have faith that God's going to provide? And that's what Jesus is calling out. You know, when we, when we worry about things like clothing and some of those material items, you know, we're really, we're, we're, we're failing to exercise faith in God as our provider. And so your father provides, okay? Antidote number one. Antidote number two, your father knows. Look in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And then listen to this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Again, he repeats the call not to be anxious. And he says, you know, don't, don't spend your time asking, what shall we eat? What will we drink? What shall we wear? And he's not talking about you know, the conversations we have after church, well, what are we going to have for lunch, all right? He's talking about a deep-seated anxiety about the basic necessities of life. Now, notice, that, notice what he says. He says, don't ask these kind of questions. He said, that's what the Gentiles do. In verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. You know, and he's not making the point, he's, he's, he's not... Uh, He's not trying to down, downplay or denigrate Gentiles. Um, remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and he's really saying, you guys, uh, Jewish audience, disciples, you guys should be marked by the knowledge of me. You guys should be marked by the knowledge of God and by faith and trusting in his provision, right? And, and instead, they were, living, they were living in a way 
that you couldn't distinguish between them and these countries, these nations around them that had no knowledge of God. These countries and, and, and nations and people that didn't have the light of, of Scripture. He's saying that's the way that the Gentiles live. And it's a life that's marked by anxiousness. And really, when you think about pursuing food and possessions, that's their goal in life, right? If you don't have God, all you can do is pursue food, pursue possessions, pursue material comforts, and that becomes your goal, your aim in life. And, and that was Jesus' point from verse 25, where he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, when we, when we make life only about food and only about clothing and only about money and only about possessions, we make life much smaller than God intends, okay? God intends for life to be bigger and about things that are more lasting than just our, our temporary physical bodies. God wants us to live for his kingdom, his purposes, his righteousness, his eternity, to invest in things that will last beyond the point in time when we die. Now, when he says, your father knows that you need them all, you know, that's kind of an understatement. You know, God knows that we need, and, and, and Jesus is implying much more than just a general knowledge that, yeah, God knows that you need to eat, okay? Um, you know, I think about my uh, time as a father, and I realize how many shortcomings us human dads can have, right? I struggle, and maybe you guys can relate to this, I struggle going through the drive-through with my whole family in the vehicle, all right? There's a lot of pressure, and dare I say, anxiety that comes with that, because you're trying to get, okay, I need one hamburger with only ketchup, one with ketchup and pickles and no lettuce, one with the works, one with this. There's a lot of, okay, you know what? God knows exactly what we need. He knows your personality. He knows your makeup. He knows your preferences and all those things, and they all combine uh, to help him make the best and provide the best for us. Okay? Look at Matthew 6, 7 to 8. So this was, this was a verse that we went through a few weeks back. Part of Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, but there's a cool parallel between, between the verses. And so if you look at Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So again, there's this parallelism. Don't live your life like the rest of the world that doesn't have a relationship with the Father. When they pray, they pile up a lot of empty words. But your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then again he says, in the chapter that we're looking at today, the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's their only goal and their aim in life. But you, you belong to the Father. Don't be like them. Since you belong to the Father, He knows you. And He knows exactly what you need. And more than that, He knows what you need before you ask. I mean, that is just amazing to me. That God combines unlimited power with unlimited wisdom to secure our highest good.
again, he, I said I mentioned that human fathers are limited. We're we're limited in our ability. You know, I can't always give my kids everything that they need. We're limited in our resources. We're limited in our time. I don't always have the time that I need to spend with each of my children. God's not limited there. And I don't always have the knowledge of what exactly it is they need. God's not bound by any of that. God is the perfect father. And if you had a, a father that wasn't perfect, you have an idea in your mind of what that perfect father would have been. And that's what God is. And when I re recognize that my father knows me, man, that should be an anxiety killer. That should be something that comes in and smashes the anxiety in my heart to know that God's my father. He knows me. He understands how I work. He understands my needs even better than I do. He knows what tomorrow looks like. He knows what my past looks like. He can plan all those things to give me what my highest good is. Matthew 10, 29, just another, another verse that I love. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Again, just this idea that, man, you are more valuable than a sparrow, than a bird. And if God knows when a bird passes away, and God numbers the hairs on your head, some of us, he can do that easier than others, then, man, he knows us. He knows us, everything that we need, everything about us. The last antidote, verse 33. The last antidote is knowing that your father is the king. Verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Jesus is just saying, one of the ways that you can get rid of anxiety is by putting first things first. Now, if the Gentiles were putting food and clothing and material possessions first, Jesus is saying, no. The first thing for you should be seeking the kingdom of God, seeking the righteousness of God. And then he says, and all these things will be added to you. And he's talking about food, clothing, our basic needs, that when we're seeking God's kingdom first, then those things can be added on to it. Those things can, can follow on. And, um, you know, just this idea that we're seeking the kingdom of God, to me that just reiterates that we have a God who is king, right? Um, your father is a king. And, and really, ever since when you go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, some of those first lines, Jesus is concerned about telling us what God's kingdom is like. Remember, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So Jesus is trying to reorient our hearts. And we become so focused on the here and now that we forget that God has a kingdom that's coming, that's greater and better than anything else here on earth. So we remember all those blessed bees. That's what it looks like. What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? You know, you go back to, to chapter 5. 
it looks like being someone who's poor in spirit, someone who mourns, someone who's meek, someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, someone who is merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, persecuted for righteousness sake. That's what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, last week there was a poll taken, and Steve might have mentioned it, 74% of the people in our country believe that the United States is headed in the wrong direction, 74%. And, you know, I think that the principle that Jesus talked about with treasure, uh, you know, he talked about how moth and rust destroy. I think that principle applies to the empires and the governments of this world, right? You think of the great empires of the past, the Egyptian pharaohs, all right? Think of the Greeks and the Romans, the Babylonians, and all these great and mighty empires. And, and where did they end up? Can you go there today? You can see the ruins and the remnants of these empires, but they're not there. And you know, the same thing is true of, of governments. Eventually they change the moth and the rust of changing attitudes and beliefs and time, they erode our institutions. And so where are we putting our hope? Are we putting our hope in political processes? Are we putting our hope in the governments and the powers of this world? Or are we investing in the kingdom of God? To seek first the kingdom of God means I'm not putting my hope in the here and now. I'm putting my hope in what God is going to do in the future. And, you know, remember what Jesus said about trying to practice our acts of righteousness in front of men. And he said, they have their reward in full. But he said, remember, when you pray, go into your room and pray for your Father who sees in secret. So all these things that we do, we don't do them for the people around us. We do them for God alone. He's our audience. Um, in In... So I just ask the question, I think it's worth asking the question of ourselves. You know, which kingdom am I building in my life? This week, tomorrow, which kingdom am I building? And I'll confess it's so easy to become so, our hearts can get so tied up to the kingdom of this world, right? Whether that's my own personal kingdom or the kingdom of the United States or the state of Iowa, all these things or some other organization or political affiliation, man, we get tied to these temporary, really lesser things. And in Daniel chapter 2, I love it, there's a great uh, passage in a story, and Daniel is talking to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who had this dream, right, that no one could interpret, no one could understand. It was this giant statue that represented all the kingdoms of this, world, of, this, of this world, and it was made from gold and silver and all these precious metals. And at the end of the dream, the, the part that was disturbing to Nebuchadnezzar is this stone comes along, the stone not cut by human hands, and it strikes the statue, and the statue is demolished. Okay, And Daniel comes and he says, you know what? The statue is representing the kingdoms of this world. And those are all going to be destroyed. But he says in Daniel 2.44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. 
And isn't that where we need to put our hope and our security? And when we can focus our lives and our attention on the kingdom that will not be destroyed, and that is going to be a third thing that comes along and helps to just take that anxiety and remove it from our heart and from our life. That we can invest in a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And the last verse, I love it. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, Jesus is realistic. This isn't a, this isn't a don't worry, be happy message, right? Jesus understands that there's trouble in this life okay? But he just wants us to live day by day. You know, give us this day our daily bread. And try to focus on the here and now. Because when we start thinking about tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year, that, and that's going to heap some anxiety on us that may not even come true. What were you worrying about on January 1st of this year? It probably had nothing to do with the fact that there was going to be a global pandemic and, you know, we're here where we are today, right? So a lot of the things that we have anxiety about in the future may not even come to pass. Just remember that Jesus' kingdom is coming. Your Father provides. Your Father knows. Your Father is the King. You know, Jesus is doing something really radical here. He is inviting us into a non-anxious kingdom with a King that we can call Father who knows our needs and provides for them. What do the rulers of the world do? Especially those who are, you know, those who are tyrannical or who, who rule with an iron fist. Man, they love for their subjects to live in fear, right? Because that builds up their power. They want their people to be afraid of them. They want their subjects and their uh, people of their nation to be anxious uh, and, and living in kind of a fear. And God is the opposite. God says, come live in my kingdom. I'm inviting you to a non-anxious kingdom, okay? To a lifestyle that, where you can invest in things that will not be destroyed in the next decade or century. And Jesus wants us to begin the journey where we are. Now, I don't want to, diffi- I don't want to downplay the difficulty that some, some of us struggle with anxiety more than others. And, and sometimes there's medical issues that are related to that. I'm not trying to downplay that. Um, It could be due to physical conditions. It could be due to emotional scars that carry with us for years and years and years. But I think Jesus wants us to begin the journey wherever we're at. Wherever we're at, to take a step to put our anxiety on him. So we can start that today. And I just think we do that by just acknowledging to God what we're anxious about. Um, putting it at his feet. You know, in Luke 10, 41 and 42, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And what, the one thing that's necessary is to sit at Jesus' feet. And, and that by itself, when we see him, when we see the one who took the price for our sins, who paid the penalty for us, that can help destroy that anxiety in our heart and refocus us onto the one who paid the price for our sins. 
Um, we're going to transition to a time of communion. Um, and this is just our opportunity to reflect and remember Jesus and what he's done, to take the bread and the juice. Whether you're at home, uh, you can gather that together, or whether you're here um, as we play some songs. But uh, I'm just going to give thanks for the bread and the cup and commit uh, that time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the words of Philippians 4. Say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And God, we thank you for the promise that follows. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the chance to sit at his feet this morning. We thank you for his simple message do not be anxious. We thank you that we have a Father in heaven, a Father who provides, a Father who knows us intimately, a Father who gives us a kingdom that we can invest in and seek. Father, we just pray that you would reveal our hearts to us, help us to understand how to put your kingdom first, how to turn over our worries and our fears, and to trust in you. We thank you for this bread and this juice that represents what Jesus has done for us. It's in his name we pray. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ's solid.